ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so today then, باب قول الله تعالى وَأَسِرُّوا قَوْلَكُمْ أَوْ اجْهَرُوا بِهِ إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ السُّدُورِ أَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ خَلَقَ وَهُوَ اللَّطِيفُ الْخَبِيرِ يَتَخَافَتُونَ يَتَسَارُونَ In these ayat where it mentions the meaning of which is and whether you keep your talk secret or disclose it. Verily, he is the all-knower of what is in the breasts of men. Should not he who has created know? And he is the most kind and courteous to his slaves and all aware of everything. So here then, you notice in the ayah that it mentions whether you speak out loud, whether you conceal it, then indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of what is in the breasts. Allah is aware of what is within a person. وَلَمْ <coughs> يَقُلْ and it didn't say in the ayah, إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِهِ That he is the all-knowing of it. Rather it said, Allah is all-knowing of what is in your breasts. That wording is used, Allah is aware of what is in the breasts of mankind. Rather than just saying Allah is aware of them or aware of it. But it mentioned aware of what is in the breasts of man. Because the one who has knowledge of what is in the hearts, what is in the breasts, in the hearts of mankind, كان علمه بما أظهرته أظهرته الألسن من باب أولى. So if Allah knows what is in your hearts, then clearly, clearly it is obvious that Allah knows what you say upon your tongues. If Allah is aware of what is in your hearts, then certainly He is aware of what is upon your tongues. Hence in the ayah, it mentions whether it is secret or it is open, Allah is aware of what is in your hearts. Even though here it's in reference to the speech upon the tongues, whether quiet or loud, Allah knows it. But it mentions the hearts to make it more encompassing. That not only does Allah know what's upon your tongues and what you're saying, not only that, 
But more than that, Allah knows what's in your hearts. Let alone what you say upon your tongues. Everything is known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَهَذَا هُوَ قِيَاسَ الْأَوْلَى قِيَاسَ الْأَوْلَى Meaning that it's an analogy of something which is more obvious and is greater as an example. Meaning if Allah knows what is in your hearts, then obviously and of course Allah knows what's upon your tongues. So it's an example being given which is more inclusive. It is more widespread and broad, more encompassing. So, Qiyasu Awla, if Allah knows what's in your hearts, then of course it goes without saying, Allah knows what you say upon your tongues. وَأَسِرُّوا قَوْلَكُمْ أَوِجْهَرُوا بِهِ إِنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ and therefore, if Allah is all aware of what is in your hearts, then certainly He will know what you are saying, whether it is quiet or it is loud. Would He, the one who created you, not know? Meaning, how can it be that Allah, the one who created you, wouldn't know what is in your hearts? Of course He would. Of course He does. How can it be that your Creator doesn't have knowledge of what is in your hearts? So certainly, Would He not know the one who created you? And He is the most courteous, generous, and kind to his servants. And Al-Khabir, the one who has knowledge of all affairs, including the discreet affairs. Al-Khabir, knowledge of all affairs, including the most discreet of affairs. So the answer to this question but is it a question? It appears to be phrased as a question. Would he, the one who created you, not know? Is that a question being asked? Would he know? Would he not know? Of course it is not a question like that. Here this is what they call Al-Istifham Lit-Taqreer. Al-Istifham Lit-Taqreer. And this type of thing, you come across it a lot more when studying tafsir. Istifham taqreer and istifham tawbiq and different types of things. This one here, al-istifham lit-taqreer. It is a question to, to bring about, to extrapolate from you a confirmation about something. A question is being asked to confirm the fact. Like when you say to a child, did I not tell you don't write in black pen? I'm not expecting you to say, I don't know, maybe did you, did you not? What I'm expecting you to do is to recognize that, yes, I did tell you that, and go and change it and do a different pen. 
you sometimes phrase something as a question to make your point. You're not asking the question for the sake of wanting an answer. Did I not tell you don't write in black? You're not expecting the child to stop and think and I don't remember, did you, did you not? It's for the child to recognize, yes you did, he did. To know and to recognize and for that to become established. So you ask a question to make a point. And that's what this is. It's a question to make that point established and confirmed that of course the one who created you knows. Of course the one who created you has knowledge of what is in your hearts, has knowledge of what you say, whether you are discreet or whether you are open in your statements, in your speech. فالجواب بلا لا بد أن يعلم الخالق ما خلقه ولا يمكن أن يكون الخالق جاهلا بما خلقه Of course the creator will know what he has created and it is not possible that the creator is unaware of his creation we are the creation Allah is the creator and certainly the creator has an absolute knowledge of his creation us as humans we have a relative creation relatively speaking we create and our creation what is it if allah is al-khaliq he is the creator how can we say that we can create too how do we create and what does it mean that mankind are creators and they can create so the difference being that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala his creation is absolute Allah creates from nothingness whereas us our creation is restricted and limited we can only create in essence, transferring one state to another. So you have a tree, you have the wood there. We can chop it up and we can make a table, we can make a chair, we can make a cupboard. We can create those items of furniture from the wood in the tree. Transfer from one state to another. We can pick up all the metals and all the components and we can put them together and make a phone. But we need those metals and components and everything else to be able to make it. So we simply transfer things from one state to another. Whereas Allah, when we talk about Allah as the creator, then his creation is from Adam, from nothingness. Allah creates, kun fayakun, says be and it is. So here now, certainly the creator will have knowledge of his creation. And even us in our restricted sense of creation have a degree of that knowledge, of course. Now the, the technician, the, the, the people who work on making these phones, you go to a factory where they make the phones, the technician can explain it all to you. They'll say, absolutely, open it up. This part does this, this part does that. This part needs to go there. This part needs to connect there. He has knowledge of what he has created. 
That's with us in our relative terms. So of course Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as the creator of everything that exists has an absolute knowledge of everything that exists and everything that is connected to that existence. So us now, Allah is aware of everything in our hearts, let alone what is upon our tongues. <clears throat> so the creator cannot be ignorant of his creation. The creator cannot be ignorant of his creation. عدل عن قوله ألا يعلم العلام أو ألا يعلم الله Again now, Sheikh Al-Thameen, he says here, in typical fashion of Sheikh Al-Thameen, in his explanations, that he will bring about those questions that people may think of, so here now he says, what if somebody says, and that is something you find often in his explanations, what if somebody says X, Y, and Z? And what if somebody came along and said X, Y, and Z about this or about that, what we're talking about here? And then he answers it. So your explanation and your understanding of that topic is full. He says, now what if somebody comes along and says, why didn't Allah say, ألا يعلم العلام ألا يعلم الله In the ayah it says Would he who created you not know What if somebody says Why phrase it like that Why didn't Allah just say Wouldn't Allah know ألا يعلم الله Wouldn't Allah know Or wouldn't the all-knowing know? What has creation got to do or what is the direct link between creation and knowledge? Why not say, wouldn't Allah know? Wouldn't the all-knowing know? But why wouldn't the one who created know? In case somebody asks, then <coughs> the Shaykh says, there is a benefit behind that too. من أجل إقامة الحجة العقلية الملزمة. It is in order to establish that intellectual proof that is necessitated by it. An intellectual, rational, logical proof that is necessitated by it. لأنه كونه يخلق يلزم عليه عقلا أن يكون عالما because the fact that Allah created is the creator then that dictates that he is knowledgeable that he has the understanding فإذا كان خالقا لكل شيء كان عالما بكل شيء and so if the creator who creates something has knowledge of that thing, therefore Allah who created all of this creation has knowledge of all of this creation and everything in this creation. And that's a little bit like when Ibrahim alayhi salam was debating with his people 
And he said to them, I do not worship your idols and what you call upon, etc. I only worship fatarani. In that ayah, he mentions, I only worship the one who created me. I do not worship your idols. I only worship the one who created me. Again, somebody could say, why phrase it like that? Why not just say, I don't worship your idols. I only worship Allah. Why did Ibrahim phrase it as, I only worship the one who created me? Because there is an obvious point to be made in that context by using that phrase. And that point in that context is, Because the idols that they are worshipping and calling upon do not create anything. So Ibrahim refutes them in his very statement of affirmation of him worshipping Allah. That I don't worship your idols who do not hear, do not see, etc. I only worship the one who created me. I.e. your idols didn't create me, they didn't create you. I only worship the one who actually created us all, Allah. So certain phrases are used, certain wording, Allah mentions it in that way because there is a benefit attached to the point. So here again, Allah saying that the one who created, would he not know? Of course he would because the creator has knowledge of all of his creation. أو يفيد ذلك أنه عز وجل لطيف خبير واللطيف الذي يعلم بسرائر الأمور اللطيف one of the meanings of the names of Allah اللطيف is the one who knows the intricate and delicate affairs that Allah is aware of even the the most delicate of affairs even the most intricate and precise and delicate of affairs والخبير كذلك العالم ببواطن الأمور الخبير you could perhaps use the word precise for that بواطن الأمور meaning even the most hidden of affairs the most detailed and precise of affairs that Allah has knowledge of all of them الخبير Al-Khabir, the one who has knowledge of everything apparent, but also knowledge of the hidden details and intricacies of things. So Al-Latif and Al-Khabir together here indicate Allah's all-encompassing knowledge of everything apparent or hidden and concealed and fine and delicate. Allah's knowledge encompasses it all. Then it mentions also يتخافتون and the meaning of that يتسارون in secrecy فانطلقوا وهم يتخافتون ألا يدخلنها اليوم عليكم مسكين Who are these people? أصحاب الجنة من هؤلاء أصحاب الجنة الذين أقسموا أن يصرموها صباحا ولم يقولوا إن شاء الله وإنما اختاروا صرمها صباحا لألا يأتي المساكين فيأكلوا منها 
فهم ذهبوا إذ أقسموا لا يصرمونها مصبحين ولا يستثنون لم يقولوا إن شاء الله فطاف عليها طائف من الله فدمرها فأصبحت كالصريم فلما أصبحوا تنادوا وذهبوا إليها فلما رأوها قالوا هذه ليس جنتنا إنا لظالون أي تائهون لم نهتدي إلى طريقها ثم تأكدوا فقالوا بل نحن محرومون فعرفوا أنهم حرموا وأن الله أتلف هذه الجنة لأن نيتهم كانت سيئة ولا يريدون أن يطعموا منها المساكين So here it's in reference to the ones who had the garden the jannah i.e. the garden and it mentions how they had said they were gonna go in the morning and take the fruits so the masakin wouldn't come and eat from it but they hadn't said inshallah and so then it was destroyed and they couldn't find it or they said that we have become uh, lost and we cannot find it but the point being here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was aware of exactly their intention and why they wanted to go and what was happening Allah was aware of all of those affairs and that's just an example being given and there are so many examples in the sunnah the example of when the munafiqeen built masjid al-dharar when the munafiqeen the hypocrites the hypocrites at the time of the Prophet ﷺ were the hypocrites at that time, were the munafiqun during the life of the Prophet ﷺ. They were. When did the munafiqun first appear? In Medina. So there were no munafiqun before Medina in Mecca. Huh? You said Medina. I didn't add anything. I just said, if you're saying Medina, therefore you're saying there were none in Mecca, which is what you're saying. But now you're not saying yes. Anybody else? Medina. So there were no munafiqun in Mecca. Nifaq hadn't appeared. Absolutely. So in Mecca, who was in charge? Kuffar. Was there any need for anybody to pretend to be Muslim? No. So the nifaq, the hypocrisy appeared after the hijrah in Medina. Then you had those munafiqun who went and built a mosque. They went and built Masjid al-Dharar. Which was where? Hands up if you know. Where did they build? You've heard of Masjid al-Dharar. The mosque of harm and splitting that they built. Where did they build that? The munafiqun, where did they build Masjid al-Dharar? Huh? Where? Where did they build it? Where? Where did they build that mosque? Everybody knows that story about the mosque that they built. They built a mosque, the munafiqun, the hypocrites, kuffar. They built a mosque because they wanted a base to be able to meet and gather and plot against the Islam and the Muslims. They couldn't just get together in their homes every night. It would become suspicious. So they decided, let's build a mosque. We can get together there five times a day. Nobody will get suspicious. We can sit there after the prayer. Nobody will get suspicious. Quran class, this class, something happening, mosque. People get together. They gather in mosques. So they said, okay, let's build a mosque. And we can gather there. 
as much as we want, stay there the night and gather people who think maybe tahajjud. We can gather there and we can plot and plan and nobody will get suspicious of us constantly gathering together. So they said, okay, a mosque. So they went and built a mosque. And to make sure that nobody would ever get suspicious, just to make sure definitely nobody would get suspicious, they had another line of cover and that was to invite the Prophet ﷺ to come and pray in their mosque. Munafiqun, kuffar. To invite the Prophet ﷺ to come and pray in their mosque because then if anybody ever did get suspicious, they'd say, no, no, it can't be. The Prophet ﷺ prayed there with them. The Prophet ﷺ gave them the stamp of approval. He came, he prayed in this mosque. There can't be anything wrong there. Nobody would ever get suspicious. So they invited the Prophet ﷺ to come and pray. But he at the time was out on an expedition, on a battle. So when the message came, the messengers who used to go in between, he replied back saying that when I get back to Medina, I'll come. But on the way, what happened? The revelation came. And just as an example of Allah being all aware of all of the affairs. Revelation came to the Prophet wasallam, telling him, لا لا تقوم فيه أبدا. Do not go and stand and pray in there ever. Revelation came to the Prophet ﷺ telling him about the evil intentions of those individuals and that it's not a mosque in reality, it is only a cover. So then the Prophet ﷺ commanded for that building to be destroyed, to be burnt down. He sent some of them ahead to go and destroy that building to burn it down. And then they mention in the books of Sirah or in the books of history generally that the people of that area continue to use the demolished site. How? They used it as their garbage dump. They would go and dump their garbage on that site as a, as a degradation for the hypocrites, what they had tried to do. But where was that site? Made sure to be very careful not to give it away in the story. That's your homework. Your homework is going to be to find out where was this mosque that they built? Where was the location in Medina? It was in Medina. But where in Medina did they build this mosque? So the point being there, the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah, revelation came to the Prophet وسلم, as he was returning regarding that affair and there's many examples like that Al-Dharar means like the mosque of harming or splitting <coughs> because that was their intention when they built it The point of this particular chapter, and then just to round that off then, 
مقصود البخاري بهذا ثبوت علم الله عز وجل وأنه سبحانه وتعالى يسمع القول سواء أصر به صاحبه أو لم يصر به The point of this is that Imam al-Bukhari is highlighting the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah That Allah knows whether it is apparent or it's concealed or hidden, loud, quiet Allah is aware of all of that Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على الصلاة حي على الصلاة حي على الفلاح حي على الفلاح الله أكبر الله أكبر لا إله إلا الله So Imam al-Bukhari here in this chapter is highlighting the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the all-encompassing knowledge of Allah, whether you speak out loud or you speak secretly, then all of that is known by Allah. وَالْغَرَضُ مِنْ عِلْمِنَا نَحْنُ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى يَعْلَمُ مَا نُسِرُّ وَمَا نُخْفِي وَمَا نُعْلِنْ هُوَ أَنْ نَخْشَ اللَّهَ عَزَّ وَجَلْ فَلَا نُسْمِعُهُ مَا يُغْضِبُهُ عَلَيْنَا وَلَا نَفْعَلُ مَا يُغْضِبُهُ عَلَيْنَا وَلَا نُضْمِرْ فِي قُلُوبِنَا أَيْضًا مَا يُغْضِبُهُ عَلَيْنَا لِأَنَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِذَاتِ الصُّدُورِ What is the point of knowing that though? Because when you study names and attributes of Allah, you are supposed to take the benefit of the implementation. Knowing the names and attributes of Allah should change your behavior. So here the fact that we know Allah is all-knowing of everything, concealed, hidden, apparent, then that means we will be careful or should be careful of what we say, of what we uh, speak about, of what we do. We should even be careful about the thoughts that we have and we shouldn't just sit there with evil thoughts and having evil thoughts about things because Allah is aware of even what is in your heart 
So having bad thoughts and sitting there thinking bad thoughts and evil thoughts, it's not suitable. Seek refuge in the shaitan from those whispers and stop that. Not for a person to think, but if it's only thoughts, I'm not doing anything, it's not a sin. Even the thoughts, Allah is aware of you. So you should avoid even that. Seek refuge from the shaitan and avoid those thoughts. فائدة أخرى إن البخاري عقد هذا الباب في أثناء الكلام على كلام الله ليبين أن لفظ الإنسان بكلام الله من فعله فأنت إذا تكلمت في القرآن إصرارا أو جهرا فهو من فعلك This chapter is directly after the chapter that was talking about the speech of Allah and it was talking about the issue of recitation of the Quran whether that is created or not and we mentioned your vocal cords and your physical, everything is created. But the actual words, those are the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are not created. This chapter comes straight after that to highlight to you or to add on to that, that the recitation of the Quran, whether you do it out loud or whether you do it quietly, the recited words are not created and the voice and everything else from you is created there is a link to that speech whether open whether quiet uh, indicating the same point as the previous chapter the next hadith we can just mention it too uh, it's only three lines explanation carries on from the previous one قال حدثني عمر بن زرارة عن هشيم قال أخبرنا أبو بشر عن سعيد بن جبير عن ابن عباس رضي الله عنهما في قوله تعالى ولا تجهر بصلاتك ولا تخافت بها قال نزلت ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم مختف بمكة فكان إذا صلى بأصحابه رفع صوته بالقرآن فإذا سمعه المشركون سبوا القرآن ومن أنزله ومن جاء به فقال فقال الله لنبيه صلى الله عليه وسلم ولا تجهر بصلاتك أي بقراءتك فيسمع المشركون فيسب القرآن ولا تخافت بها عن أصحابك فلا تسمعهم وبتغي بين ذلك سبيلا In this narration it mentions how the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when he was in Mecca was obviously as we say in the language now keeping a low identity, low profile from the kuffar because they were in authority, they had power, they were in charge. But it's mentioned that when he used to pray, lead the prayer, that he would raise his voice in the loud prayer, reading uh, the Quran. And so the mushrikun would hear that, and they would abuse and curse the Quran, abuse and curse <coughs> the religion. And so it was said to the Prophet ﷺ, do not raise your voice in the recitation of the prayer <coughs> such that the mushrikun can hear you and end up abusing and cursing the religion but neither be so quiet that the people you're leading your companions cannot hear you and take a middle path between that so again it's talking about the loud and the quiet and that this is all from the actions of a person whether you read loud whether you read quiet that's your actions what is being read though is the kalamullah not created 
We'll have to round off. I wasn't aware the prayer is earlier today. Also, uh, next week the class is on as usual. But then after that, there's going to be a two-week break, which makes it the 19th of October and the 26th of October. Next Saturday, no problem. It's on as usual. But then in two weeks' time, there is a, a, a different event we're going to be doing an open lecture in Oldham, around the corner. In Oldham, on the 19th of October, there's going to be an open lecture there for the community, for everybody there, for the da'wah to maybe start. But we need everybody to participate and show support for that event too. So in two weeks' time, it's not a day off. In two weeks' time, instead of driving here, Drive over to Oldham, inshallah ta'ala. It's on the Twitter. The announcements are going to go out everywhere. The exact address of the hall. So in two weeks' time, that will be in Oldham. And then in three weeks' time, there's the conference in Stoke-on-Trent. So those two weeks will be off. 19th of October and 26th of October from here. 19th in Oldham, 26th in Stoke. Next week, we're here though as usual. Next week is what? Uh... 12th of October, next Saturday, as usual, quarter past eight, with your homework, where Masjid al-Dharar is, insha'Allah ta'ala. Any quick question before we stop? In that case, we round off for today. Carry on next week, insha'Allah.